Hey, Film Files, what's happening? We're back. We're going to take a little break from our normal format. We have a local filmmaker with us tonight in the studio, and we have a couple producers that are going to join us for some film talk. So that's what we're doing tonight. So if you've never listened to us before, stay with us. I'm Jimmy Malone. Oh, hi there. I'm I'm Dakota Kuhlman. Uh, Matt Pleasant, and... Uh, I'm Jason Snydecker, enjoyer of all movies, and believe that Fincher is... Pretty good. Okay, get out. Right, yeah, we should have found someone who just hates Fincher. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a great contrast. I think contrast. Fincher sucks. Yeah. And this is movie show theater. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Shake. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Sorry, you just tough talk a dead body? Get busy living or get busy dying. Keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. That's goddamn right. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. I didn't have time to do it tonight, but I did come up with one question. According to IMDb, how many... Feature-length films are in existence, both domestic and foreign. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so this would be like a, from a, like the late 1800s <clears throat> to 2015. Okay, well, if you um, uh, if you look at how many movies are made every year that aren't blockbuster films. So you take blockbuster films and there's about, which is range about 100, 100 a year that are just here alone. Just here alone. in the States. There's mm-hmm. about 200, I think, is the mm-hmm. number. Um but then magnify wide. that by everything that gets on Netflix and then uh, right. I mean, and just the indie scene and then, then, dude, I think Bollywood alone, Ball, yeah. oh yeah, knocks out like a thousand movies a year, or something mm-hmm. crazy Ball, number yeah. like that. <laughs> I'd say there's almost about as many people or as many movies as there are people by this time. Um, and you said that was true, from the true. 1800s to present day. Mm-hmm. And it's kind oh. of a uh, IMDb specific so trivia do- because there's a little bit of. A little bit of footwork you got to do to get your hmm. movie on IMDb. I have a very specific number in mind. It's completely irrational, but <laughs> the philosophical person, what is a movie? <laughs> um, I guess I'm, I'm gauging. Oh, that's what he what, said. You know, that's, yeah. that's a good guess. I'll, I'll clearly. I'm going to watch what you do now. Let's see how guess. see how close uh, is. I. Is well, the, I'm going to write mine the, in uh, Japanese characters. Yeah, there you go. Is the winner you know closest without going over? Are we doing this? Well, with, uh, uh, yeah, actually, we are going to do that. And generally, whoever is closest gets to choose the next movie that we do. So we could do that too. And this is as of. I am so sorry, everybody. This is as of January 14th, 2011. Oh, oh still, oh, still, it's uh, a lot of. When you write the right number, it's the right number. It doesn't I, matter what year. Specific. It, I, I got a very specific answer here, Jimmy. All right. Forgive my little T-Rex arms. I can't reach that far. Oh, that's okay. Four million from Jason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mr. Coolman. Three billion, two hundred ninety-three million, five hundred and sixty-four thousand, two hundred ninety-one. Porn counts, right? I mean... No, these are oh, films wait. recognized by IMDb. IMDb. Okay. I don't think porn is on IMDb. <laughs> And Matt's was $526,675,043. And the answer is 3,264,512. That's it? That's... Come on, I mean, Samuel Jackson has been in at least half of those. Yeah. (laughs) 
our subject is David Fincher, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the project that you guys have going on. Jason, how did you get into film? How did you get this interest? How did I get into film? Well, I mean, just shooting stuff when I was, you know, in high school with friends. And then, you know, it was a hobby for the longest time after graduation, of, you know, graduating high school. And I didn't really, I didn't go to college right away and just kind of floated around trying to figure out what I wanted out of life. Uh, but the one thing I kept doing, aside from, you know, other stuff like playing music and working a day job, was I would make movies. And so finally, it just kind of came to me. It's like, just do that. I mean, you're good at it. You you like doing it. But uh, I, I pursued it and said, all right, well, I'm going to, you know, at least go to ICC and uh, study it. And while I was there, I, I worked under Ken Burton, who uh, does the media services department there. So I was working for their TV station, and I was shooting stuff with, with them a lot and uh, producing TV shows. And, yeah, I mean, that's – and I've just been kind of making movies and TV and stuff, you know, ever since then. Graduated, moved out to L.A., worked out there for about five months, came back home for family reasons. And, and then uh, out of the blue, you know, while I was – I was working on a short film with these guys called Beta, and uh, Dakota's like, hey, my roommate, she knows you. Do you know Emily? I'm like, yeah, I know Emily. I guess later on down the pipeline, you guys talk to me about doing this, so that's how we got here. <clears throat> cool. And then, so Dakota, this is kind of your, your, your baby, mm-hmm. this project you're yeah. working on? Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, what I had done is I, I had recently finished, uh, working on my first feature film, uh, The Pale One, and it was a shout out to the Slenderman mythos. And I had started working on, I was like, alright, well, now that we're getting into the swing of this, I want to start developing more and more movies. And I always like kind of having ideas on the back burner. And I started working on the second film that I wanted to kind of develop called Tracks. Now, as I started kind of working further and further on all these different projects, I started finding that there were connections that started drawing them all in. I was like, oh, this looks like the beginning of something much bigger, like a multiverse. Um, but then I have I know so many different talented artists, and not all of them are filmmakers. A lot of them do graphic novels, uh, a lot of musicians, um, radio. And what we wanted to try and do is create something that would bring all of this together like all these different media platforms, um, and bring everything to the audience on a level that would get everybody involved. You know, say if you aren't big on graphic novels, um, something will eventually steer you further towards the film direction and vice versa. And the more we started working on this, the more we realized that the best way to bring um, the audience a story like this is to create it almost like it's it it's occurring here in real life. You know, we just, we made it, set in in the time frame between 1947 and present day, so it allows you to tackle um, all the stuff that kind of brings in current events um, and really important uh, historical points as well. And then Matt and I kind of met, um, we actually met, he was auditioning for tracks, and we started talking about, you know, kind of, I, I brought him and said, hey, you kind of nailed every single part you tried out for, would you be interested in taking on the role as the main villain? Um, and, you know, I kind of explained a little bit more about what we were trying to develop, and he brought up um, a story that he had been working on for quite some time called Prism. And once I heard that story, that became the missing link to everything. 
Uh, and we just started collaborating even more and more, and we just built this thing into the massive monster that it is right now. Yeah. And how did we make the leap to remote? Well, remote was... There was some stuff that I wanted to bring in with the pale one. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, the people who had performed in that weren't able to make it back. And seeing as I wanted to continue this story further on... I wasn't. It wasn't that I wasn't happy with the movie, but I wanted to take it a different direction. Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to force a universe to fit one film, this allowed us the opportunity to kind of merge an idea in with everything else. And Remote and The Pale One are two completely different movies. Much more grounded fear and reality. This of... flipped itself on its head. I mean, it, it became something completely different. You know, it's still, still possessing the same gripping qualities, I think. I think definitely the more we talk, the more... The, we realized that we had a, a bigger, a grander idea mm-hmm. that we needed to relay. Yeah. My personal mentor, Jim Kelton, who's a phenomenal filmmaker and visionary, he uh, worked with us on the original one, and a lot of this wouldn't have been possible without him. Uh, but unfortunately, with his uh, schedule, he's going to be out of the country a lot, so he wasn't able to make the time commitment to work on this one. But I'm really hoping that when he sees you know, kind of what we've developed from this and kind of the brainchild that he and I came up with with the first, you know, with the pale one, um, I'm just hoping that he's going to be able to see this and just kind of be really excited and kind of enjoy watching that on the big screen with us, too. So uh, I think that's one of the cool things about projects like this, too, is that you bring in so many different talents uh, from all the different corners of the earth, and you get to work with them. And then when you move from one project to the next, some people, they worked on that bit, and then they kind of move on in their lives, and then some people just continue the journey with you. But you you are constantly, it's just this, the door is always open. Mm-hmm. You know, some people will leave, and then they come back, and then, um, but it, it, it always allows you to grow, you know, uh, as kind of almost like a, a breathing organism, mm-hmm. you know, of talent. And I think that's truly amazing, because once you get, that many different eyes on that many different projects, you see these more through the scope of each individual character um, versus just kind of seeing them all as one um, kind of one lens. Uh, And that's kind of how life is, honestly. You see more things through... uh, The way you see something is going to be completely different than the way I see it. And that's what that beauty is. That's what art is all about. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I think PRE is kind of an interesting foundation for film for sure, but just arts in general because I've run into a lot of people that have a lot of negative connotations with PRE like, oh no, you can only be in Chicago, New York, or LA if you want to get into the movies. But because of the whole indie scene and kind of broadening this horizon of you know what a film is and what a film costs to make, there was that movie that came out, Tangerine, that was shot with an iPhone 4. Mm-hmm. And I think that while it's true you might not have the resources that a place like Chicago, closer cities like that might have, when you find connections and when you find this chemistry, it's so much more meaningful and it's so much more passionate because you don't have to weed through so much BS like you would in Chicago, you yes. know, yeah. where there's directors that are kind of having pissing contests. Who sh- whose film looks better versus which story is better, which is starting to become a gradual problem is that people are more focused on what it looks like, which is important. But if you don't have a good story, that's that's not what makes a movie. Yeah. The first thing makes it... a good screensaver though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. You yeah. know, everyone's out for the biggest and best gear when, you know, when you don't know how to use it. it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think one of the reasons why Puri gets a negative look as to like especially like in the arts, is it, it feels slightly stifled, mostly because we're 
more of an industrial base, you know, community, you know, with Caterpillar and all that. They're, a lot of people don't want to, you know, give attention to the arts. Um, it yeah. just, it, or that it feels that way. It feels like it's not, um, something that is inherently, um, you know, given, uh, like taught to children as much as it should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of filmmakers in smaller towns such as Peoria and, I feel that the passion's there, but the skill set isn't quite there. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I've been to a few film festivals and I've seen some stuff. And going, mm-hmm. I, I get where you're going. And I think that's and one of the, that big problem is kind of boiling down to uh, the fact that the arts are unfortunately one of the big things that's being taken out of schools mm-hmm. right now. It's it's starting to quickly evaporate. Actually, in fact, I know some schools that are starting to even take away. Uh, physical education too, which yeah. that that kind of throws me off a little bit because um, if we're if the one thing we're complaining about is you know first off our kids aren't cultured enough and they're not thinking outside the box enough well there's the arts and if our kids you know, are fat, are fat asses. our kids are fat yeah. then why are you going to take away the two things that you're complaining about it just doesn't you know it doesn't kind of click well, you know, uh, it's bureaucratic man you know it's bureaucratic oh, you completely know, the yeah before, it's you know, the Oscars yeah. During the day, I'm a teacher, and just recently, we got an entire music program cut from cut from our school. And I'm like, music why? Is, music That's is the, what got music me into is math too, which is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Exercise for the art, soul. It, yeah. It's uh, that irks me so bad as a musician. As like, why would you do something like like? There's one thing that helps stimulate because it feels like creativity is stifled here, and that's like. Exactly. You know, every, every, That's it. Everyone, Stifle. everyone around here is like nose to the grindstone. You got to work in a machine shop kind of mentality, mm-hmm. especially where I live in Chillicothe. It's like it's like just dumb rednecks working in factories, and that's all they want for their workforce. They don't want people who can think. It's so just it's mind numbing. Like when I went out to, when I and you know it, it's you kind of understand why people talk about wanting to make a movie and go out to L.A. to do it. Because even though the, out there. It, it, and it's, it's not just that, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more liberating. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone's just willing to go do whatever they're going to do, and that kind of mentality doesn't exist. Whereas here, it's like, nope, you're going to do the same nine to five job your pappy did and his pappy before him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a very industrialized city, yeah. too, and that's and that's why. And but one can say, you know, from that stifling kind of setting can grow great art. I mean, if we look at, you know, not to diverge the conversation, but we talked about music, the band Black Sabbath, they came out of, like, Birmingham, England, which oh, is yeah. just all factories and everything. And so, if, you, yeah. if you think about that, too, it if you're a true artist, if you're somebody who's really dedicated, and and I've kind of been in this mindset, too, to where there was a few years ago, like, I had I had the 9-to-5 job. I had a comfortable house, and I have never been more depressed in my entire life. Now I am the very definition of a starving artist. Like, it's food and rent and that's it but yeah, everything else yeah, yeah. i'm still working my full-time job is this entertainment company that we've developed but the thing is if you are a true artist no matter how much of being what you would call a adult or an adult they push on top of you eventually you're just gonna have to claw your way to the surface and say i can't stand this and you're going to create something yeah yeah and it's, it's, i think it's, the it's, benefit it's... that we have the tactic that we have is that there are so many stifled artists around here that by creating an opportunity like this, 
it's people are starting to come out of the woodwork and they're like, oh yeah, of course I'll absolutely help. I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And that's because they've been stifled and been told no so much by people around here that it it's kind of like a mini revolution. You know, it, yeah, it's, oh absolutely. And it's when, an when a project does break the mold or when somebody does break out of that box, they really break out and and you get noticed. Yeah. And I think it's cool too because I know aside from how other people view what we enjoy and like what we're trying to accomplish. When I'm around like-minded individuals and others that share my interests and hobbies and film and, and beyond just watching them, you get geeked out, you get happy, you get excited, you get inspired. I go home and I write. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what you're... I mean, this story that we're developing right now, like I said, it's it's taking a, a very deep look into uh, sociopolitical issues, uh, global espionage, uh, conspiracies, current events, uh, big pharmaceutical companies. This is... We're developing something that is... Culturally relevant. Yeah, it's completely socially relevant. relevant you know, um, which is really important. I don't want to say more than ever, but uh, I think, you know, every every point in time in history, you know, has their struggle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we wanted to, you know, accomplish by creating this, this universe was to attack and kind of, you know, break down the door on those issues mm-hmm. that are existing in, in the world that we live in now today. I mean, so I'm completely mean, obsessed with the idea of the what if. I mean, this is a commentary on, you know, the, the the world that exists today, but seeing it not just from in front of the magician and seeing the trick that's happening in front of in front of you, but seeing what's going on behind your, their back as well. I mean, that's seeing the puppet master pull the strings. It is. That's you know, exactly what it is. Or the, and, the red strings. If you oh, uh, there he, he <laughs> said it. He he said the coming title. this fall on NBC. Yeah, <laughs> but it it really is. And the thing is, is that yes, you're right. Some people are going to look at that and they're going to go, "Oh, cute little movie." It's like, no, no, no. We're we're dealing with real mm-hmm. reality, you know. And despite the fact that this is a a, a fiction that we're developing. Science fiction is only science fiction because it's science that hasn't been discovered yet, and this is all pre-existing history. And they say that those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. What we're doing is trying to, you know, put on the table, here are the events that have occurred from this time period to this time period, and we're going to show you a different angle to that through, you know, fictitious characters and stuff like that, but it's something important to look at and kind of reflect on, like the choices that we have made, are making now, and could potentially make in the future and where that could take us. So it's completely relevant. And I, I hope that people yeah. will see that and understand that uh, with these stories that we're kind of creating. With the Internet, especially now, I mean, the Internet has turned us into one giant state. You know, we're all connected. I mean, we all live there, you know, essentially nowadays. And it's only moving further and further down that path. So it's, you know, it's kind of like, but I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of discouragement that comes from, you know, when you talk about, you know, creating a feature film or creating something, you know, massively ambitious on an artistic level, when you live in a place like this, people automatically go, you know, did you live in L.A. or are you going to move to L.A.? Oh, you should contact <clears throat> people in New York or these people in Chicago. And it's but like, I'm... people here. Yeah. I'm right Talented here. Talented people here. Yeah. And the thing is, with the internet, going back to the internet... And, um, you know, a lot of people, I think, get that mindset, you know, the the, the misconception of, Oh, you're making movies. You're going to move to Hollywood. The only reason Hollywood existed was because that was where the resource was. Film equipment back in the golden era of film was not something that everyone possessed. Yeah. That was, these are things that, these are giant machines that, you know, cost a lot of money back then. Probably still actually pretty expensive nowadays too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and only a select few could get their hands on them. That's not the case anymore. Mm. You know, we live in a world now where everyone here has an HD camera that can shoot better than what cameras were shooting you know, five for, years ago. Yeah. Not even. Oh yeah. Oh, and it's even less than that. Yeah. Now. I was just gonna say, I feel like the advent of things like Vimeo and Vivo and YouTube and this film festival explosion mm-hmm. uh, that there's been movies that are released that have certain selling points. Like there was that Tangerine that the kitsch was that was filmed on a cell phone. There was a movie from Poland that came out last year, a full 110-minute movie that was all done in one take. And if you have a DSLR, which you can buy, it doesn't have to be Canon. A lot of people have the whole like you got to get Canon, a Canon man, right you got to get a Canon. <laughs> and Canons are me. great, but Amazon you know, or Walmart, Pen- Pen- Pentax sells get, DSLRs, you know? uh, um, Fujifilm sells them. Mm-hmm. We're actually and uh, with remote, we're looking at shooting on a uh, Sony A7S. It's the mirrorless camera with like that insane ISO range, mm-hmm. so like oh, that's shooting low practi- light, oh. practically dark, <laughs> yeah, and it's like broad daylight. It's amazing, and. Uh, and um, can I spoil? Not spoil Go ahead, the, okay. spoil away. All right. Well, uh, the the movie which has um uh it's a because it's a movie in a mo- inside of a movie it's inside a found movie. yeah it's a found footage <laughs> film inside of a cinematic film, and the found footage stuff all done on the A7S, uh, because you know it's easy to go you know for run and gun kind of stuff very minimal setup, you know because a lot of it's going to be in the dark in some tunnels and mm-hmm. basements and buildings and whatnot. And, you know, if we're trying to get this done under a specific budget, best way to go about doing it is having as minimal setup as possible so we can get in, get out, get done within days instead of weeks. Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. I wanted to express something real quick. I just want to go back to when you mentioned minimal setup and especially locations and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important things that this area also has to offer is the fact that the locations are limitless. Here. Oh God, yes. Um, and that's the other thing is people yeah. think you have to go to New York or Chicago or someplace like that to shoot locations. You can shoot. Yeah, that's all going to be on a soundstage. Almost yeah. every <laughs> single location. I mean, you've got the waterfront, you got the river, you got the woods. You can even do mountainscapes. I just went location scouting yesterday and found some places, and I swear to God that I thought I was either in Canada or Colorado. Right. I mean, it, it was very deceiving. I mean, if you spun around really quick, you wouldn't have known where you were. Mm-hmm. Especially not in Peoria. Well, and, the yeah. area is dynamic. Well, it's oh, dynamic, yeah. you know. And it's one thing I was, I was talking <clears throat> to you about the other day, uh, on how this town isn't a town built by people from different areas. This is a town built by people of different time periods. Oh, yeah. So, every, I mean, you could have a building that looks like it's from the, you know, 1800s, standing next to something that was built in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's just so much range there that anything you want to do, there's bound to be a building that looks something like it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and an alleyway is still an alleyway in right. whatever city you shoot. Exactly. I can shoot in an alleyway right downtown Peoria and just say, I'm in New York City. See? Yeah, I mean, and that's right. kind of, you shoot it right, yeah. you set it up right. And... Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the thing that they're doing like with Vancouver. That's yeah. like the big thing is like Vancouver is the city that doesn't play itself. Yeah. It plays. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, Mayor Giuliani? Oh, yeah. Well, they make yeah. it inaccessible yeah. for anybody. Mm-hmm. Mayor of New York City, did his, they did his biography and... They didn't even shoot it in New York City. They yeah, shot they it in Vancouver, Vancouver because they couldn't afford to shoot in New York City. Wow. How does that work? I mean, that just, they, you're right about stifling art. They just kind of like press it down so well, much. It's, well, it's, 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 it's
text. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. that's the, that, that's the thing. The is like they're reason. like, well, everyone wants to make a movie here. We're just going to charge them an arm and a leg. Do it. Well, now you're going to be and broke because nobody now, wants to do now it. And now, now, no one's yeah. going to go to your city. That's why I. That's honestly why I was like, when people ask me, "Am I going to go back to L.A.?" I'm like, not really, because mm-hmm. I'm just going to go where the work is. Because I went out to L.A., I found that. Mostly everybody that lives out there, and I was like, "No, dude, you, it's a you good missed experience. that." Mm-hmm. They're like, "You missed that boat like years ago." Yeah, and uh, so honestly, you, you just you go where you know it's a it's a career that you just have to be willing to go where the jobs are, not the other way around. Stuff mm-hmm. is really moving down to you know Atlanta, Georgia, and oh, big time. Uh, Austin, Texas. Texas. Austin, is Austin's huge. doing big. Texas right now. is huge, yeah. um, but those are places that you would never assume. You know, the film community to really be. You know, hustling and bustling, and, and once again, Vancouver, it is. but in Vancouver, yeah. as we oh, mentioned absolutely. before, yeah. Um, yeah. And what's to say that we can't make Peoria that same thing? I think it yeah. needs to be because I mean, it's this city is so full of an unbelievably rich history, right. a great story. It comes from a, a great, great creative place. It doesn't come from a certain city. It doesn't come from a certain town. A great story is a great story. Yeah. And, you know, when a great story needs to be told, a team gets together, mm-hmm. <laughs> wherever you may be, That's the thing. and People... we feel like it needs to be told. Oh, incidentally, there's a little. this is a little shout-out to anybody who, and I, I keep forgetting to bring this up, anybody who wants to shoot anything that comes across as the Sahara Desert or anything like that, just go up to Silver Lake in Michigan, where the sand dunes are. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's sand dunes for miles and miles, mm-hmm. and trudging through those, if you, you know, if you, if you don't look out and you see the lake from any angle, you're going to think you're, you know, in Saudi Arabia or um, on the Sahara Desert, or uh, if you shoot it correctly and you put the right lens on there, you could be on Mars, you know? it's right. But this mm-hmm. area right around here, there's just so much... Yeah. Um, this area is not oversaturated either. You go some places and you're going to be bombarded with everybody's got a movie idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a good place to kind of weed out who's serious about it and who's not. Out there, it's L.A., it's it's you know California, it's you know New York, whatever. Everybody out there is serious. That's why they moved out there. But mm-hmm. there's so much content and there's so much oversaturation that it's it's hard to get noticed. It's like going. Um, it's hard to get noticed, but it is great if you're trying to get freelance work. It is, it is. Mm-hmm. But if you're going like down a street and there's a thousand bars down that street, you're going to bar hop, you know. And unfortunately, yeah. this is one of those industries. If you're trying to get something big created, that's great because, like you said, the freelance work. If you're there and you see a whole bunch of opportunities to get one gig and go to the next gig and go to the next gig, mm-hmm. and that's how you want to make your living, excellent. But if you're trying to be like, I got a great script for this, you know, multiverse or a big idea or something like that that touches different platforms, they're going to be like, yeah, you and my brother and everybody else I know. Uh, Here, you can still kind of create and formulate, and with a project that's this big, there are so many different avenues for people to look at and say, well, I'm not really into that, but that interests me, Mm -hmm. and say, come on, you know. This, we are now in what's called a gig economy, and a gig economy is where people do more freelance work, and they go from job to job to job, because they're more likely to be able to survive doing that. The thing is, is that what's really, really cool with this is that there are a lot of people that we know who can't afford to go to college, um, and are probably also smart enough to see that they're like, well, I, I can't afford the debt afterwards, and we're already seeing so many of my friends or family that, you know, went to school for, I mean, like, I have a couple of friends who went to 
school and got like doctorates in engineering and can't get a job because a they don't have 20 years experience getting out of college and b the, the nobody wants to pay for all the benefits and stuff like that so it's just mm-hmm. you're screwed you have this huge you know glamorous degree and stuff but it what does it what does it get you it doesn't really make you applicable for any other situation so they can't get the job that they want and they can't get the smaller jobs mm-hmm. because they're overqualified what this brings to the table is that we're all learning right now we're all kind of networking and uh, we all have it you know we all have other. education soon that's the one that's what the great thing yeah. about oh, is yeah oh yeah art is a continual you know non-stop learning process you're oh, always learning something mm-hmm. more and even after you graduate um i'm going to use uh something matt said to transition into fincher matt had <laughs> mentioned one's residence having nothing to do with your capacity for writing a story because Plot and story are two very, very different things, especially when writing, I feel like. And Scorsese's a big believer in this, and that's why Fincher is one of my favorite uh, directors. If you're kind of a casual movie watcher, you're not enormous nerds like us, that's totally fine. Um, some of his stuff that he's directed uh, that he's more known for is uh, Seven and Fight Club, uh, Case of Benjamin Button from 2008, and Social Network and Gone Girl uh, a couple years ago. Um, but he's definitely a filmmaker's director, and there's a certain style. You know, he was, when he was two, he moved next door to George Lucas and got a job at Industrial Light and Magic when he was 18. And he is definitely a tripod guy. He doesn't like a lot of handheld stuff. It's very mm-hmm. firm, steady, um, smooth shots. And then when it's handheld, it's it's intentional. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that. So, like, his whole... and. Jeff Cronin West mm. deserves a lot of the credit too, because that's uh, Fincher's main uh, director of photography. Absolutely. And there's just it's if, if you enjoy the technical aspect, you already know where we're co- coming from with like color <coughs> color grading and and the symmetry of a lot mm-hmm. of his his shots. Um, but one of the things I was trying to think of a good example of his camera movement that I love, and there's a scene in Social Network right after Sean gets arrested and yeah. he calls Mark up. And Sean is on the right side of the screen, and then they cut to Mark, uh, who's on the left side. And the whole time, Sean, uh, Justin Timberlake, keeps looking up to the left over to kind of signify that's where, you know, he's he's appealing to Mark. The camera work, when they show uh, Justin Timberlake, is very jumpy. It's always moving. And, you know, that says something about his nervousness and anxiety. And then they cut back to Mark and the camera is just solid and still. So there's all these little things that you might not notice, oh, you might yeah. not appreciate, mm-hmm. but they, they all tie in whether you consciously realize it or not, I think. And that's and he does that in all of his movies. And The Game, too, I forgot to mention. That's a terrific movie. Yeah, The Game is, I, I want to say the most unknown, probably the most unknown. Michael <laughs> Douglas and, Sean, and Penn. Uh, Sean Penn. Yeah, yeah man. From that 1997. Is... That was his mm-hmm. second. That was after Seven. Mm-hmm. But he, but he, he empowers the movie watcher, you know. He doesn't spoon feed anything to you. And I think that those kind of movies are really fun to watch. And, and I'm not coming from a place of like arrogance or like chauvinistic, like, if you don't watch movies like me, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Anybody who watches Seven, you can appreciate it for any 500 reasons. Oh, God, yeah. But there's so many touches and there's so many, uh, just nuances and motifs that don't really tie into the plot, but, such a huge part of the story, and especially like Gone Girl, which I've been crazy about lately. 
um, there's just so much there's so much there to appreciate other than the linear narrative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I, I from a storytelling standpoint, the way the story is told visually, that's that's what's always drawn me in. I think it's you know his focus on expressing you know that high octane emotion and using those aspects of the atmosphere and and the attention to minute detail. You were talking about mm-hmm. those little things. You know, those little things are incorporated in the actual filmmaking, you know, of it. I mean, it's like the way Seven starts, um, when you just have that fade in with Morgan Freeman and he's just getting ready and he's going through his morning process, those little movements. Mm-hmm. All so those calculated. Oh, yes, very, that's yeah. subtle. So methodical. Perfection. And yeah. I think it carries over in probably all of Fincher's films. He yeah. really, he lets the actors really tell the story. And that's like yeah, you were saying. With so the, a lot of times, not even words. Yeah. To be able to paint a picture without dialogue. Yeah, and those lockdown shots like you're talking about. And that's why he was a real inspiration with Remote and how yeah. we're kind of developing that story is because so much of the beginning and the end of the story, there isn't actually very much dialogue. But there's a compelling story that is told through so much imagery. It's a lot of and, a lot of action, which yes, you know, when mm-hmm. when doing just readouts of the script, it's like, and then you do this, and then mm-hmm. you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. But for us, I mean, I know I can understand for the actors that that's kind of difficult to sit through that. But for mm-hmm. us, being able to visualize that and see exactly how those shots play out, it's just it's really cool the to mo- kind of the montages. Oh which yeah, is a wide shot yeah. with Daniel just walking mm-hmm. around the room, you know, trying to you know making mm-hmm. phone calls. Yeah, and there's, stuff like that. There's a there's a frantic energy behind that while at the same time the you don't need to be you know moving the camera around a lot i mean you can have it just sitting in the corner but listening and actively watching you know kind of that that's something that fincher is just so good at Mm -hmm. and give you goosebumps with just close-up shot of a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. you know seeing in a coffee maker and just a drop drops into the coffee it's these combination of elements that just enforce, that reinforce this kind of minimalist kind of way of... No, and then one thing that I, I really like is when he does move the camera, he wants it to not look like there's a human involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it like, is. It's, it's, it's seamless. There's a, it's, I, I can think of one shot in particular in uh, Fight Club where he's talking about the bomb in the van. And they're yeah. doing like that. It just... Mm-hmm. It just soars through. And it drops down like 40 stories. Yeah, it's doing unnatural movements. Yeah. Out. You know, clearly yeah. it's CGI for a good portion of it, but it's a cool way to tell a story and it's visually compelling and it, and it's it gets startling the... too. I think it totally helps with the whole like suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. And the opening mm-hmm. of Fight Club where it pulls out of that garbage can, you know, you kind of start. We're all which... part of the same compost heap, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, he truly mm-hmm. believes in the fact that his he he trusts his actors he trusts his team mm-hmm. um and he really he what he what he's capable of doing with that is like you said he he makes it seem like the way everything flows so seamlessly together um and with as subtle as he is with his storytelling when there is action like uh, a piece of kind of like violence or anything that kind of really stands out the thing is is that it's so shocking and so abrupt that it really does catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look mm-hmm. at Gone Girl, um, and I don't want to give you know too much away about the movie, but if you're going through there, uh, everything starting out like even the the fact that she's just disappeared, you've seen that there's this you know the struggle um, that's you know kind of raised so many questions. 
there's only one real point in the movie where there is a lot of intense action, but everything leading up to that, for the fact that it's almost a three-hour-long movie, and that gets closer to the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and it's only, it's subtle. Like it's, it's only like, what, like a couple of seconds worth of intense, uh, invigorating action, but it stands out so much, and even with things like Fight Club, where there is a lot of action, nothing contradicts the other thing. It just it flows so well together, he never does anything without purpose. And there's so many movies out there right now that are kind of, there's too much CGI, mm-hmm. there's too much weird camera movement and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where they're trying to force the idea that this is a high-intensity situation. But I was going to say, uh, for Fight Club, you know how normally you see a fight scene, it's usually handheld, shaking, it's all over the mm-hmm. place. Oh, they you do know, the wide they shots. They, they do great scene where he's like, I want you to hit me. I want you to hit me. Is, exactly. Is it where you hit me? Is hard, and it's just a two-shot. Just yeah. a two shot of these guys mm-hmm. on a long lens and he swings, hits him, and there's no cutaway. It's just no. boom, right in the ear. No, it's just no fight. And, and, and the sound is so anticlimactic. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's not, real. It's, like it's, it's, just not yeah. it's not Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's evidently a, it was real, I guess. It's, it's real. It's, yeah. it's really, what it really sounds like when a fist is, it's human yeah. flesh. Well, what I was going to say is that I think the show Daredevil, which is on Netflix right now, I think a lot of what they did was inspired by Fincher. The color tones, oh, yeah. how it was shot, that hallway scene. The, there's the hallway scene, and then no now cuts. they've it's got a, a stairwell. One. Now they've got a yeah, new one on season two. Yeah. And but if you look, there are hidden cuts. And I was, I was yeah. I refuse to believe it was just one shot. Oh, it was oh, not. Yeah. It was not. It was not. There's, but it was uh, really there's, well done, there, there are very well placed, and I, I think that scene owes, owes itself a lot to Birdman. Oh, kind of yeah. teaching oh, yeah. us how to hide ta- uh, hide cuts. Breaking mm-hmm. ground right now, and yeah. with that, now people are starting to be like, okay, they're, yeah. they're bring- they didn't think you could do it, but they're they're bringing filmmaking and cinematography to a whole different level, yeah. and now it's it's a new school. Mm-hmm. But one thing, uh, another thing I wanted to talk about is um, uh, with his shots and with his edits. Going back to Gone Girl, I love how the even though like the beginning shot of the movie. And the end shot of the movie, the exact oh same God, shot, mm-hmm. but the way that the story plays out, you would think that they are two totally different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh, it that's was like brilliant though. And at first yeah. you're like, oh, that's cute and innocent. By the end of it, you're like, Whoa. oh my God. <laughs> but that's that's the genius of filmmaking, and especially with good storytelling, is that even if I were to just you know tell you the story verbally, you can still paint that image in someone's mind. But with his capability of also being a good visual storyteller, yeah, um, he, um, he just he lays a t- he lays a very very distinct tone down in his films that's just very well balanced, mm-hmm. very well paced. Everything just kind of you know it's 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 syncope, man. It's going back to um, Fincher's influence on Remote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about in our Kickstarter when we were you know we were dealing with uh, real issues and, and real people, and that's not movie monsters. I think is a real very, people. We're dealing with mm-hmm. real people. That's, that's also something that Fincher does very well. I don't think I've seen a Fincher movie yeah. where it's been something supernatural. No, really. no, it's John all, Doe. I mean, John Doe's a real so, person. Yeah, but his tenacity and his his ambition and his his willingness to go as far as to even cut off the skin on his fingertips so mm-hmm. he won't have fingerprints. That right there, to me, just comes off as somebody who to go to such lengths to be something that's other than human that is just it's terrifying and mm-hmm. that that's something that also exists in Gone Girl as well mm-hmm. uh, but the fact that those people especially like in 7 where he's the photographer and he takes the picture in the, in the stairwell the fact that these people exist around us all the time and you can bump shoulders with mm-hmm. them 
at any point in time in your in you know your walk to work, or it might be somebody who's you know in the cubicle next to you. That is genuinely scaring. Yeah. You know, true horror. Oh and yeah, then, and, and that's one thing that um, in Fight Club is it shows you the villain not being another person, but being your own mind. Yeah, that Edward Norton is not even no, really he's not have the a villain. character name. Well, I mean, he's. I was gonna say in that story, I don't really. I think. Edward Norton is more of the villain than um, Tyler. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler Durden, Durden. Because the thing is, is that yeah. with that, it's what he's trying to express is that if you are so locked down by normality, you become a villain to yourself. Yeah. Because you have, you said it perfectly the other day. Is that somebody was joking uh, to me and Matt about you know like well you know you guys just decided you haven't didn't want to grow up yet because we were wearing oh, yeah. our you know re- regular attire as comic right. book clothes and we're like. Yeah. Yeah. Your point is right. I mean, the mm-hmm. thing is, because growing up sucks. Well, Why would you is, want to do it? That's yeah. the thing. You said that the day that I have officially grown up is the day that I have failed at life. Yeah. Um, because it is. It's that nine to five job. It's. I don't think it's possible for yeah. me to grow up on. I, I, I don't, psychologically, I think idea. that I'm. I you know, worked an office job, but it was like the soul crushing thing ever. And that was actually when I was really flourishing with my filmmaking, was because that was my only outlet. Mm-hmm. Because I was going mad not having that. It's, Absolutely, it's like any sort of. Honestly, you know, addiction is a, is a big. That's something oh, that's that we tackle. Huge a huge part of this, part of our uh... story. And what we do is kind of like an an addiction. It, it, it kind of takes on the same sort of properties. I mean, if you don't do it, you withdraw from it, and the withdrawal can drive you insane. I mean, mm-hmm. like my job. You know, I have a nine to five job as well, and I. I find a lot of great value in what I do. Oh, yeah. I love absolutely. what I do, but I've said it before, mm-hmm. you know. There's not a moment where I don't wake up in the morning and I just have that feeling, the very first feeling that enters my mind that this is this is not what you're supposed to be doing today. It's like I'm being yeah. compelled. I, I I need the fix mm-hmm. of of it, and it's you know that's 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 a huge driving factor. It's hugely ironic. I don't know. I seem kind of needy <laughs> sometimes, but I, it really is kind of like the best part of my day when you guys come over and we can get to start working on stuff. Mm-hmm. Because it really, you're right. I need my fix so bad of what we're kind of developing, and I feel like kind of getting back to like Fincher and stuff like that, and these people who have kind of you know developed these stories. There's a reason why they're there doing that, and that's because they. Like you said, the nine to five job. Well, and see, where and with me, I was trying to make connections the whole time. That was I, another thing because too, yeah, because I worked at a cable company in their oh, okay on, in in their sales department on the you know phone sales, and uh, we would have reps coming in from like HBO stars, and I would try and get like contacts and be like, how do I, I'm like, I know you don't know who I need to talk to, but hell, do I get out of this place mm-hmm. and get to where I can work making content for these guys? And now it's like, crap, I wish I would have talked to the HBO guy a little bit more. Oh, that would have been glorious. But anyway. You guys want to come back next week? We'll do oh, uh, absolutely. week hey. two of Fincher Fest. You can't have Fincher Fest in an hour. You just yeah, no, you no, can't. No, no, we got you know we got to get the Panic Room. We got to get the Ben Button. We, the uh, Alien, Alien 3. 3. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not yeah. going to lie. I like it. I can't imagine a better note to end on. So let's do that. Thanks, guys, for coming out. Thank, Thank you. And, uh... Um, as always, we're helped sponsored by Acme Comics at 2218 West Glen Avenue in Peoria. If you're listening, you've probably been there. It's about the geekiest place you can go in the most wonderful sense of the word. I buy my VHS there. But anything from pop culture to DVDs to comic books to vinyl to movie books to music books, 
they got it all. Uh, Scratch and sniff. Old, old, the uh, old video games. You, oh yeah, oh, I got totally. really big into buying NES and SNES from there. Love oh, yeah. that. Love Acme, man. Yeah, they're great. So until next Tuesday, I'm Jimmy Malone. I'm Jason Steidecker. I am Matt Pleasant, and I am Dakota R. Coolman. And this has been Movie Show Theater.